from time to time, I go around YouTube and watch YouTube videos like anybody else, right? Everybody watches YouTube videos, or most people do. If you're here, you probably do. I, I, I was actually going through my phone the other day, uh, the YouTube app, and discovered a, a place where you can find out how much time you spend watching YouTube videos. And it turns out I watch about 74 hours of YouTube per week. That is an insane amount of YouTube. Oh my God. That's twice as much work I do in a week. I, like, Of course, I'm listening to YouTube while I work. And a lot of the time I'm listening to music on YouTube because I have YouTube music. But uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of YouTube. So yeah, I was going around YouTube and I was list I was watching some videos and I watched a video earlier today about this kid. I, I watch a lot of leaving Jehovah's Witness videos and leaving oppressive religion videos. Uh, don't tell anybody this, but I don't really watch a lot of atheist channels anymore. I used to. I used to watch a lot of Matt Dillahunty and the Atheist Experience taught me everything I know about how logic works and, and things. And it really got me interested in it, and I learned more from there. So I watched a lot of that. I watched a lot of Hemant Meta. I watched a lot of The Thinking Atheist. The Thinking Atheist did a really fantastic, um, I guess you could call it expose on Jehovah's Witnesses. And it really touched my heart because... You heard him talking to, he had a bunch of guests on, and you heard him talking about, he, I mean, these people were telling their stories, and of course these stories sound startlingly familiar. And at the end of it, he said, you know, what, uh, an issue that continues to come up in this video is these people feel abandoned by their families, rightfully so. They're instructed to shun their family members, right? And at the end of it, Seth Andrews, the thinking atheist, every single time he says, well, you have a family here. We will never deny you. We will never shun you for your beliefs, Christian or not. We will never mistreat you that way. And there's just something that really hit me in the heart when he said that, when I watched that for the first time. It was really touching and really sad, and uh, and it's something that I had not felt ever, really, you know. So that that is another one of the things that got me into talking about Jehovah's Witnesses on YouTube, was the fact that there were so many people out there who have just lost everything as a result of Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, I mean, lost their families and their friends and everything. And it's so heartbreaking. From time to time, I will go around YouTube and I'll just kind of listen to people's, I guess you could say coming out stories, coming out of Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll listen to those stories. Uh, and they're really interesting a lot of the time. Like, I was just listening to one earlier... Now, usually I comment on them every time I do, just so the people know that I'm there and I heard it, you know. Uh, not every time, but 
I have been known to comment. So anyway, I was listening to this one kid's story. And again, it was so familiar. Just the things he was saying, the way he was saying them was so fascinating. Just because I, I, I identified with that mindset, with, with you know, his, what he was saying and how he felt about things. It was fascinating, really. And um, so he's telling this story about how he's like fourth generation Jehovah's Witness, fourth generation. So he is Jehovah's Witness or was Jehovah's Witness. His parents are currently Jehovah's Witnesses, apparently. His grandparents are Jehovah's Witness and his great grandparents were Jehovah's Witness. I mean, think about that. That's that's crazy. Uh, I, I don't know how old he was. He's probably, I got the impression he was around 25 or so. But when were they born? They must have been born in the 1930s. Must have been. And I'm trying to think now. I think that Jehovah's Witnesses split off from the Bible students around 1933. That could be wrong, but I feel like that's, I mean, it's a, it's in that vicinity anyways. So they must have been Jehovah's Witnesses right during that hostile takeover of Joseph Rutherford when um, when there was a big debate between the board or the president and Rutherford comes in and just takes the whole damn thing over. It's crazy. And then changed the name and then erased any remnants of the founder. It told people not to have beards because he didn't want anyone reminded of the founder. I mean, it's freaking nuts. But anyway... So yeah, this kid, so he's pioneering, right? And he's doing everything he can, and he wants to be a ministerial servant, and I think he's like, he's 18 at this point, and he's, he's been pioneering for a year, and he wants to be a ministerial servant, but the elders in his congregation tell him they don't feel like, if you're not old enough to be married, you're not old enough to be a ministerial servant. And I assume he was just a little bit younger than 18, just almost 18 or something like that. And he's like, what? I've been working my butt off for all this time. I'm just going to move to the Spanish congregation because they're shorthanded anyways. They'll promote me through the ranks. They'll give me the, you know, they'll give me ministerial servant if I want it. So anyways, he ends up going to Bethel after a little while, after a... um. A circuit overseer tells him, if you're, I mean, no matter how much you're doing, if you could be doing more, but you're not, then you're not adequately serving Jehovah, basically. So you could be in Bethel right now, but you're not. And so you're not adequately serving Jehovah, even though you're pioneering and you have multiple parts on the meeting every week and all this other junk. And so he ends up applying to Bethel. And through this entire video, I'm listening to what he's saying about it. And he's using this language that's positively framed with the Watchtower Society. I mean, it's it's framed the same way any Jehovah's Witness would frame it. Like, it hurt, but I needed to hear that. He, I needed for him to, to, to give me the hard truth. Like, Jehovah... Uh, you know, it, it was unhappy with me because even though I was doing all this stuff for him, I could be doing more, and I wasn't. 
and and that made sense to me. It hurt to hear that, but I needed it, so I applied to Bethel. You know, he's positively framing it like that. And then a few minutes later, he's talking about when he got to Bethel, he struggled with this pornography addiction. I mean, the the, the rest of the story was fascinating and heartbreaking at the same time and so familiar. But that pornography addiction thing, I mean, I'm not going to deny that pornography addiction is a real thing, okay? I, I reluctantly accept that pornography addiction is real. I reject the idea that it's common at all. It's like half a percent of the world's population probably suffers from it. It's insanely rare. Because there's a built-in safety valve in humans. The libido. If you... I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into detail here, but you have to recharge, basically, most of the time. Most people have to recharge. Guys, at the very least. And that's the safety valve. So having a... I, I mean, it can be habitual. That's not the same thing as a, an addiction. That's very different from an addiction. So anyways, I don't know. It, you know, the kid's story was really interesting. And he talked about how he had a computer in his, uh, in his bedroom for a while. And he played a lot of World of Warcraft. And his parents didn't know that he had internet access. That is why he was allowed to have the computer. Because it didn't have internet access. I mean, that's why he was allowed to have it in his bedroom. It's because it didn't have internet access. But he was using... Uh, what, what, the neighbor's Wi-Fi or something to get on the internet. And the moment his dad found out about that, he pulled the computer out of the bedroom, wasn't allowed to use it unless it was in a public area, and it was, you know, the public, um, the public computer, like, you know, the, the, the living room computer, the family computer, and things like that. And that's actually, that was encouraged by Jehovah's Witnesses for a long time. I don't know where they stand with computer use now, now that we have phones that are basically computers, but that's how it was when I was growing up. We were not allowed to use computers in a private area. Because, as this kid points out, you can actually be disfellowshipped for looking at porn if you do it uh, constantly. Like, uh, so if you do it a lot, if you do it habitually, uh, consistently, there we go. If you do it consistently, that's the word I was looking for. Then you can be disfellowshipped for it, which is crazy to me because it's a natural biological drive that's built into humans. And, and they're cutting people off from their family for this. It, it just, it hurts me on the inside. Anyway, in my case, that wasn't really possible. So when I was young, I think I was probably 12, maybe 11. I don't even remember how old I was. I was in that range. Um, yeah, you know, it, it may have been 12 or 13. My dad bought a motherboard and a, a CPU and the thermal paste and a video card and the power supply and the case and all, the whole nine yards bought all of the pieces for this computer and said, if you can assemble this, then you can have it. 
And we had, we'd always had computer parts lying around my house when I was young. So, you know, I, I, I'd put things together before. I mean, I don't think I'd assembled an entire computer before, but it, I knew how to pop a video card in and out. I knew how to put RAM in and stuff, so it wasn't terribly difficult. So, yeah, I, I assembled the computer. I installed Windows 98, and... Uh, and I used it. I mean, it was in the computer room. We had a computer room, and my dad's computer was in there, too. And he and I both kind of hung out in there 24-7. I mean, I was doing my thing. He was doing his thing on his computer. He was trading stocks or whatever, and I was using Napster to download music <laughs> and uh, LimeWire eventually. And... um <clears throat> You know, all kinds of other stuff, like playing games, playing MechWarrior 3, listening to music uh, with Winamp. I don't know if anybody here remembers Winamp, but yeah, I was doing all that stuff. And uh, so anyways, yeah, eventually I, I was using my computer to talk to a girlfriend. And... My dad didn't like that, so I, you know, he banned me from using the computer, <laughs> which didn't work. I just wait for him to go to bed, and then I'd go in the computer room and sit in there and do whatever I wanted, right? And one morning, probably 2 a.m., he discovered me up and in the computer room, and he actually unplugged the modem and put it in the bed between himself and my mom and went back to bed so that I couldn't get it. Um, that didn't really last long because it's a complete pain in the ass to do that kind of thing, really. But, you know, in that respect, I was lucky. I was lucky that my family was so big into computers. I was lucky that I even had one because a lot of people didn't at that time. I was lucky we always had good internet. We had 56K for a while, but as soon as cable came out, we got it. I mean, we had cable internet above anything else. We had cable internet before we had food. Because my dad was handicapped, he had nothing else to do with his life but sit on the internet, and he'd just go freaking nuts if he didn't have something to do. Understandably, that happens. Um... But yeah, we had, we had, we always had cable internet, so I was lucky in that regard, but I, I did not always have friends, so I was unlucky in that, in that respect, but anyway, like I was saying, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses have a very specific, unique uh, way of talking, way of looking at things, way of analyzing situations, and I heard a lot of that from this kid. I heard a lot of that... Um, it, it's like a brainwashed persona that Jehovah's Witnesses impose on their members. It's very specific words and phrases that people use, loaded language and cliches and things like that. Very specific terms and very specific feelings that they want you to have about certain things. And I could hear a lot of that coming from him. So I'm glad to hear that this kid is out of the religion at this point. And I know he feels like he's lost a lot of time, just lit it on fire three years of his life or whatever, 
that he'll never get back, that he gave to the Watchtower Society. I know it feels like that, but you are who you are because of what you experienced. And I feel like I lit a lot of time on fire too, but I am where I am because of all that. So, good or bad, no matter how adversely it affected my life, I am still glad I experienced every bit of what I experienced because it made me who I am, because it gave me the values that I have today, hard-won values that I may not have otherwise. And it means I can put those values and skills to use, ensuring other people don't have to experience the same thing. So anyway, before we get into guests, I figure about 10 more minutes. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, uh, kind of unrelated to any of that. It was these pipe bombs. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, this pipe bomb situation. But apparently... Some guy was mailing pipe bombs to a bunch of people in the Democratic Party, right? Uh, I think Hillary Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's used to be, at least used to be, the head of the DNC, um, the head of the Democratic National Committee, I think it's called, or National Convention, anyway. And then Obama got one, Obama, Joe Biden got one in the mail. Um, and then there was, uh, who was it? Uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro got one in the mail too. Of course, none of them went off. None of them killed anybody. As far as I know, there were like 12 of them. So that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear nobody got hurt. But as far as I know, they caught the guy. And of course he was a Trump supporter. I mean, he's a, a huge Trump supporter. I thought that was pretty evident by the fact that uh, Robert De Niro got one. Because what has Robert De Niro done but just talk shit about Trump? He hasn't done anything else. I mean, he doesn't really... He's not into crooked politics. I mean, he supports crooked politics to some extent, but he's not in it. He's not a crooked politician. He's just a shit talker about Trump. So that was kind of my first clue that it was a Trump supporter that sent them out. Uh, but anyways, here's the thing. I hear in this, like in the YouTube community, especially some of the old timers, like the first generation YouTube atheists, second generation YouTube atheists. I'm just, I'm not saying any of these people are, are, I'm not saying what I'm about to tell you applies to any of these people. I'm just listing these people as first-generation and second-generation YouTube atheists. There's, like, TJ Kirk and Armored Skeptic and Logic and Dark Matter 2525, Non-Stamp Collector, Potholer. Uh, all those people are YouTuber atheists who started doing YouTube as early as like 2007 or 2006, somewhere in there, as soon as YouTube came out pretty much, and they've been doing it all along. Um, they may have quit by now. Like, I don't think uh, non-stand collector or potholer release anything. Well, anyway, in that group, there are a lot of people that I really like in that group of first and second generation YouTubers. I still watch them. 
and I'm really disappointed to see that you know, uh, some of them aren't doing so great. Like it, it seems like YouTube is kind of deprecating their channels. Like they're not even spreading it out to new people anymore, which is so disappointing because these are literally the people that I watched when I was coming out of religion. And it hurts to see their channels not doing great. And I, you know, I want to give them as much publicity as I possibly can because I feel like a lot of these guys deserve that publicity. They deserve to be watched. I mean, they're they're helping people seriously they are helping people they helped me and so anyway uh, back to what i was saying some of them have fan bases that are very loud and angry and obnoxious and harmful and have been known to harass people and and really mess with people's lives. And uh, I, you know, I've heard that the YouTubers have said, there's nothing we can do. It, it, our fans are out of our control. What do you want us to do? We can't, you know, stand behind every single one of our 100, 200, 300,000 fans and, and breathe down their necks and make sure they don't do something crooked. And I understand that argument. But at the same time, I disagree with it. So look at Donald Trump and the pipe bombs. Was that guy, was it, was it Donald Trump's fault that that guy set off the pipe bomb or sent the pipe bombs out? I would argue, yeah, it is Donald Trump's fault, at least a little, because he's got an obnoxious, angry rhetoric. Sometimes he, he's hate filled. He talks about Crooked Hillary and, and all of these other people and how they should be in prison and, and uh, he's just like borderline violent in some of his talks. I mean, he, he has been overtly violent before in some of his speeches. And, um, I, you know, that has brought public discourse to a certain point where certain things are okay to talk about now. It shouldn't be okay to talk about assassinating somebody. That isn't an okay thing to discuss, honestly. I mean, it's not okay to discuss in a serious context. And I feel like Trump's discourse has kind of brought it to that point. And, you know, I was listening to Trump's speech after the pipe bombs were sent out and everything, and he was saying, he was blaming the media for it, saying that they lowered the level of public discourse, where in reality, it, it was him. He was the one that kind of brought it down to that level. He was the one that brought it down a notch. And it's the same with some of those YouTubers that I was talking about before. No, they can't stand behind every fan and breathe down their neck to ensure that they don't do something crooked. But they can speak out against violence at every turn. Do you know what I said when Jehovah's Witnesses were banned in Russia? I spoke out for them in their favor because I'm principled and I believe that religion should be free and nobody should be imprisoned for what they think or believe. Do I like Jehovah's Witnesses? No. I fucking hate that religion. But I love the people. I love 
I love all people as humans, and nobody should have to go through that kind of thing. Nobody should be abused at the door. Nobody should have a gun pulled on them when they're knocking on doors, period. Absolute end of the sentence. I don't care if you want to hear what they have to say or not. Just tell them to go away. It's that simple. You don't have to pull a gun on them. And I've said that at every turn. I've said that in videos. I made an entire video about it, about how we shouldn't be mistreating Jehovah's Witnesses. And here we are. The Mormon church is, I mean, this video that I did just earlier today, a lot of Mormons are known to be judgmental. I mean, that's what the three Mormons were talking about in their video, is that the culture isn't where they want it to be. And people are judgmental, and they'll sometimes treat people poorly for this reason or that. I blame the Mormon church for that. I blame the Mormon church for that, because they aren't speaking out against that behavior. Okay, maybe they are. Maybe they are. Maybe they're speaking out. Maybe at the general conference once a year, they're like, now we shouldn't be judgmental, so don't be judgmental. And then they move on with their lives. That may be the case, but I'm not talking about mentioning it one time and then not mentioning it again for a year. I'm talking about a full-blown campaign to make people respect and love each other regardless of what they believe. That's what I'm talking about. That is what I want to see. And until I see that, I'm blaming the Mormon church for what their people do. I'm blaming those YouTubers for what their fans do because they're not stepping up and being principled and saying, don't do that shit. I'm blaming the YouTubers and I'm blaming Donald Trump for the pipe bomber. It's his fucking fault. It's his fault for lowering public discourse to that level. People are to blame, and I'm fucking sick of people shirking the blame off and saying, oh, I don't control my fans. Yeah, you're right. You don't control your fans. That's true. Donald Trump doesn't control his fans. Um, but he sure as shit controls the discourse that he takes part in. And he is to blame if somebody does something fucked up that he's kind of hinted at just something to think about i mean that's 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 my opinion on it and like i said i don't really get into politics very often but it's something i've noticed a lot lately uh that's why i did the video um that i did today on mormonism because i've noticed that kind of thing going around a lot